January 1974. They'd just moved in two months prior. My partner and I were first on the scene. He was feeling for a light when something bumped him. That's when we found the little girl hanging from this pipe. Jesus. I found someone to take over who will be very good for the BSU. He wants to expand the unit, and he intends to make our approach practice. Tell me, who's the one you want more than anything? Manson. I'll get you, Manson. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute. And this podcast, if you've listened, you know it's a co-production of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. Um, we're doing our special coronavirus edition, focusing on episodic content and uh, shows that have great sound design and mix uh, coming to you at home, because that's what we're all doing right now with, uh, with coronavirus and sheltering in place. We're recording today's session using the Dolby On app, and Dolby On is a free iOS and Android application which is designed to make recording and live streaming sound and video with unparalleled audio quality incredibly simple using nothing but your device. And we're all using our iPhones. Dolby On empowers creators to make their statement with amazing sound quality anytime and anywhere. So that's my little shout out for Dolby On. Uh, we're here today to talk about Mindhunter, uh, which is a Netflix show created um, uh, and, and originally directed and still kind of creatively steered by David Fincher. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be talking with some of the Skywalker Sound team uh, who do the work on, on Mindhunter. We're being joined today by sound effects editor Steve Bissinger. Hi, Steve. Hello. And uh, re-recording mixers Steven Urata. Hello. And Scott Lewis. Nice to be here. Thanks, Glenn. I'm thrilled to have you guys here. I just binged the entire show over the past weekend. So... Um, I'm kind of, my mind is a little scrambled right now, but I'm super excited to talk with you guys about this. And I, I should say at the outset that um, unfortunately, because of some work commitments, uh, sound designer Ren Kleiss and supervising sound editor Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Malad were not able to join us today. But this is actually good because it gives us the opportunity to talk about them. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to kind of kick off the first question for you guys. Um, yeah, I was thinking as I was as I was looking at this, uh, I've I met David Fincher and Ren Kleiss um, back in '97 when we did the game together. I was running post production for Propaganda Films at the time, and so I've been a big fan of Ren's for a long time and worked with David and Ren throughout the years. And there's something about I was thinking as I was watching Mindhunter again, even though other directors um, work on the show as well, it seems to so clearly have the creative fingerprint of David Fincher. Um, and there's something that I just feel like there's something magical about the collaboration between Ren Kleiss and David. Um, I feel like if you put me in a theater and showed me a piece of content, ran a piece of content that I was not familiar with, if David had directed it and Ren did the sound design, I think I would be able to know pretty quickly. So I kind of just wanted to throw the question out there. What is it, what is it that's kind of unique about the way that David and Ren approach soundtracks together that make Mindhunter sound completely unlike any other show on television? I guess one thing is that they're, they've worked together for so long, so they have such a, a nice shorthand where, where David gives a note and we're not sure what it means. We'll, you know, we'll have to Ren have him translate it a little bit. Um, I think because they've worked together for so long, they, they have a very signature sound when they work together. I mean, I know from... I mean, I remember watching Seven, you know, years ago, and 
Yeah. It was just so dense sonically in a great way. And for me, I mean, I've now worked sort of through Ren with David on both House of Cards and this, and I've sort of learned the style. And it's, that's one signature I would say is that it's, it's just, if there's a hole in dialogue, it's filled with something. I mean, Scott and Steven may take it out, but editorially, I mean, we're, it's just packed. Um, and, you know, anyway, so I, I think that's a stylistically something that is, is kind of when I hear their soundtracks, that that's something I think yeah. of. And definitely like, as, like you said, it's, it's jam packed where people might think, Oh, it's just a show with two people sitting in a room and talking, but it's sonically, it's such a full landscape. They make sure to take these opportunities to fill up the air, maybe make the air heavier than to, to um, enhance the storytelling. It might not just be a very straightforward, it might seem straightforward, but the way that we'll present it will be completely full. Song. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up because it even like I, I think one of the things that I realized when, um, you know, when I was at Skywalker and and I watched um, the social network come through, like for the most part, that movie was really a handful of people sitting around conference room tables talking to each other. But somehow, you know, David and Ren made it so complex and so acoustically interesting um, and I, I wanted to talk with you guys about that because I think that one of the one of the things that is kind of a, a hallmark of Mindhunter uh, in both seasons, but especially in this season, is the 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 the, the sonic and sound design approach to uh, when they sit down and they interview the 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 killers, the serial murderers, and uh, this happens numerous times throughout the season. And we can you know we, we can I hope. We'll, Netflix will give us some clips so that we can play some examples out. But those scenes are also really uniquely um, approached. So can you talk a little bit, uh, maybe Steve, this is a question for you from the sound, uh, sound effects editorial. Like, What was the approach to those scenes when they were interviewing the serial killers and uh, what was going on acoustically? Well, he always wants to hear what's going on off screen. In a huge way. And and one of the notes I know he gave us is that he had gone into some of these prisons and his biggest note was they're loud. They're really, really loud. So uh, it's it's everything that you would hear. Really. I mean, I'll you know, I'll do your normal ambiences, but and, and my ambiences when I'm cutting for the show in general, I'm cutting lots and lots of specifics. It's not just a bed of stuff. It's it's there's lots of little you know, things that are going on. So in those prisons that can be, you know, off-screen bangs, prisoners yelling like crazy. And of course that's supplemented yeah. by, you know, loop group and other stuff. Um, and, you know, depending on the scene, I mean, I usually try to do sort of creepy, some creepy tones and sort of sound design-y type stuff that is sometimes appropriate, sometimes not. But, you know, again, it's, it's just, it's filling every nook and cranny. I'm surprised the FBI hasn't come sooner. The night I was arrested, the mayor came to see me. He came down to my cell in the middle of the night. We fit you in as soon as we could. So you're talking to other people? A few. But no one who's done what you did. You held an entire city in thrall. Girls got their hair cut so you wouldn't single them out. Discos closed early. It was the largest task force New York ever assembled. A hundred years from now, 
people will still know the name Son of Sam. I always say, if you want to learn how to paint, go straight to the artist. What does that mean? You got so much publicity, there's a killer out in Kansas who idolizes you. He's writing letters to the press, and he's writing about you. Even, you know, even the production design helps, because I'm thinking about some of those interrogation scenes in, there, you know, in the prisons. You know, they're not being in, interrogated in these little tiny airless conference rooms for the most part. Like One of them seems to take place in a gym. Another one seems to take place in a basement boiler. Like There's plenty of... The production design is giving lots of opportunities for interesting sound work to happen as well. He's great at setting up. He thinks, you know, he's David Fincher. He thinks about everything. And so, you know, because sometimes with different directors, you'll get handed a scene and it's like, well, there's nothing going on here that I can attach a sound to, you know. With him, right. he's not only is he thinking about that, but he's thinking about how those things can attach and transition into other things. And he's amazing that way. So Stephen and Scott, tell us a little bit about the mixing process and how you guys um, ap uh, approach, um, you know, the 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 mix. And so who's on who's on dialogue and, and music, and who's on effects? So I'm mixing dialogue and music on on the show, um, and Stephen's on sound effects. And we mix this up at Skywalker um, using picks for review. So that's kind of our process: is that we David is down in LA. We'd be a, a Skywalker, and then we would, you know, do a pass, and then send him like at the first. We'd still kind of work in reels, even though it's broadcast. We'd we'd still kind of break it into chunks, digestible chunks, and work through, and send him, you know, send him twenty minutes at a time, and he'll send notes back. We do those notes, send it back, and that's kind of our review process for this show. What are you sending him? Are you just sending him a two-channel stereo mix to listen to, or what's he hearing? Yeah, he reviews the two-track. I should I should know I don't mean to break in on your guys' thing, but also one of the reasons that we split it into three chunks is because it's so much to do in such a short amount of time that I mean, you know, compared to almost any other show I can think of. We you know, so it so I tried to get ahead at the beginning of the show and that that was to no avail. I mean, he was just all over us. So Well, how many mixing days per episode do you guys have or does it vary? I think for the most part, it was three days per episode. Three days? That's it? It ends up being longer because of all the extra time. But <laughs> the original first pass. He's not going to be yeah. stopped by a deadline. Yeah. The first pass be three to four days. But, you know, David will get whatever he wants. So, um, you know, whatever needs more time, we'll spend more time on that. Um it might be we go back into a particular scene over and over again. Um, it kind of becomes a bit more fluid, especially working, uh, you know, on a streaming project where the delivery isn't necessarily a single episode at a time. We can hold the whole season back until everybody's signed off on everything. So in, in that sense, it, it helps kind of the workflow and that things can be changing. We can conform. Picture might change. We'll go to a different episode. So the way we kind of worked through this one wasn't really like finish an episode and then move on to the next. There'd be chunks of of the of each episode that we would kind of revisit and go back to. That, and I'd be actually interested to hear what Stephen has to say about this. <laughs> He's probably going to say, what were you doing? But, you know, one of the things that I try to do on my end, which I can only do to a certain degree because I don't have all the pieces and that I'm not hearing everything. I'm not hearing the ADR and all the stuff that comes in later. But I, I've kind of developed a method of working where I kind of pre-premix 
stuff. So it comes into Steven, at least as a sound effects chunk, kind of as a concept and a, you know, it's not done. I mean, they have to do a lot more, obviously, but, um, and I don't know how, sometimes I felt like that was maybe too much, uh, and I wasn't sure whether that was helping or not, but this show without Steve Bissinger cutting effects, I would have, I was not look. I was not fishing for compliments. I'm going to give way. it to you anyway. It would have been very, very difficult. He really just took an episode and handled it. Like all those off-screen story t- storytelling moments, like in the different prisons and like the door slams and stuff. You can't just throw a door slam in. It has to be appropriate. It has to fit in that one pause to make sure that the viewer is not bored during the conversation. I mean, it's not a boring conversation. It's cut very well and performed very well. But there still are lulls in the mo- you know in different moments. And Steve was amazing. He just cut those moments to really fit and flow really well. You know, all I'm doing is like moving faders up and down and adding some rewrite. <laughs> I think that you're probably being a little modest there, Stephen. I think that one of the things that, you know, one of the things that really to me stood out from the show on the show is there's so much effects works going on, but everything, you know, if you don't have a trained ear and know how to listen for that stuff, like I think we all do, if you're just watching the show, like everything sits perfectly, you know, and, and a lot of the stuff is happening outside at night, big open spaces. And you did a great job, I think, of mixing in with appropriate reverb and distance to make sure that everything like kind of feels like it's actually happening in that, in that space, which is just great. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it took a while to kind of find that balance between Scott and I, because, you know, when we first started the season, we were really trying to, we've worked together a little bit by that point, but we were still trying to, um, find the sense of um, the balance of like how much time each person gets to do certain things. If you need to do stuff alone or together. And (laughs) it's kind of crazy. Like if you, if you sat in the room at the beginning of start of our mix of an episode, it would be just like, they, they just want to leave the room. You'd be hearing Foley. You'd be hearing backgrounds, all this stuff while doubt, while Scott is trying to clean up the dialogue and mix the music. It's just crazy. But then when we're like, okay, you want to go back together and do this? And then we go back and it's like, Oh, okay, great. Sounds great. And part of that is like, you know, like you were saying perspective, like you have to put the appropriate amount of level and reverb to make it fit. And, and that's just kind of a judgment call you got to do while you're, you know, it's crazy on <laughs> in the room. And then when you go back to, to listen to it, you're like, okay, I did place that well. Or, or oh, I actually did that door slam a little too loud or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, it's, it, it was a very fun experience for me. I, I saw probably worth mentioning, too, how incredibly detailed Fincher's notes are that we get back. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's insane. He would never stop, I don't think, unless somebody stopped him, but, but, you know, I mean, he was very, I would say he and Ren really also, cause it's great to have fresh ears. You know, they would, I mean, I think you guys would agree. I mean, they would come in with very detailed notes about mixed notes. And I presume that you're talking about, so David, I think mixed, correct me if I'm wrong, but David directed the first three episodes of this season. Is that right? He takes on, he is the showrunner on this show. So even if he didn't direct on set, he's, he really takes the helm for every episode, um, at least in post production. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're working directly with him via picks to make sure that we can continue that vision. But he's directing us in a very detailed manner, much more than any other director 
showrunner I've ever worked with. Which just, you know, it's one of the reasons why the show has such an incredibly cohesive feel creatively, because, you know, as we all know, David, David knows what he wants, right? And he's, and he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna work you guys until you get there. I mean, wouldn't you guys agree there were times he really wanted a certain thing to happen, usually with a lot of density, you know, all these things happening at once. And it seemed like we would work through, you guys would work through that. And sometimes it wouldn't be exactly what I think he originally wanted. I think it would sort of, he just had to kind of experiment a little bit. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think we would get, you know, it might take us a minute to get to where he wanted us to go. But then if, you know, we did something that kind of raised another idea, uh, we would carry on with that. But it always felt to me like he knew what he was looking for. And if, you know, we kind of went a different direction or wanted to try a different direction, um, he would always be really quick with exactly what he wanted. You know, very, very detailed of like, oh, this is close, but I want it to be like this. And then give us like detailed to the point, like down to a decibel. You know, it'd be like down a half a dB here, up a dB here. And, you know, sometimes it's like overly descriptive for, um, you know, but it, <laughs> It's still really helpful for the for how fine tuned everything is. Yeah. That all this all this every sound you hear, every mod, all the reverb, is all been very carefully criticized. And I I I, I want to dive into specific scenes because there's so much brilliant sound work in the season. But I was thinking about in episode two, there's that unbelievable scene where Bill interviews Kevin in the pickup truck. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they can't, they, they can't, they can't turn around and look at him because he's too skittish. So, you know, it's all played kind of forward, but the, the sound work in that is just so, so amazing. He was almost gentle. Gentle? It seemed. He took a pillow from the bed and put it under my head. That's interesting. I want to come back to that, but please continue. He took Kathy into the other room. I couldn't tell what was going on. Then I heard noises. What kind of noises? Not moans, almost little cries. Then it got real quiet. I couldn't hear him anymore. And I feel like you guys, um, you know, you guys set so much ambience and tone. There's an incredibly loud train. We never see the train. We don't, we don't need to see the train. We just, we're in a parking garage in an urban environment. So you just buy that it's there. But that scene was so beautiful from a sound perspective. Yeah, that scene in particular, that's actually the first scene we started on when we started the season. Um, and I think it's the last scene we worked on when we finished the <laughs> Possible, yeah. <laughs> um, Got a lot of that, that was a long one. Why was that? Why was that such a challenge to 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 nail that scene? Getting it to be his vision exactly was one of those scenes where it's down to the half dB, and he was also very specific about the foley in that scene, yeah. and he really wanted to hear the kid fidgeting in the back seat. There's no way you could have gotten the safety off and shot him with him pulling on the gun. I guess it slipped out of my hands because he had it and he pulled the trigger. 
First bullet grazed my face, the second one went in the side of my head. That's when I hit the floor. And one of his notes that Steve was talking about earlier was that he wanted to hear exactly what was in the kid's pocket, which was a quarter and two pennies and a knife with an empty hole with lint in it. And he wanted to hear that in his pocket while we're going through the scene. So it's like that kind of specific, the specificity of that is, is what made that such a difficulty. You know, I think another thing that I found, just as maybe this is true in this scene for sure, but true throughout, he he can be very technical and give very technical notes, but very often I felt like he was pushing reality you know, like what you would see on the screen, whether it was a party with a certain number of people, he'd want it to sound like, I don't think you guys would agree with this, like twice as many people as what you saw. So he's sort of Ooh. going for a feeling. I mean, I think in that scene with the Foley, you know, he, he wanted to hear how nervous Kevin was, right? I mean, that was the whole, with his leg bouncing in the back, which you don't really see, I don't think. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that because one of the things that I made note of is, uh, uh, and I, I remembered this from some of the movies that I'd worked on with Ren and David together. I think I think one of Ren's or one of David's particular pet peeves is is bar scenes that aren't loud enough. You know, he was like, if "There's a bar scene. The music is going to be blaring." When we empathize with the psychopaths, we actually negate the self. We deny our own beliefs about decency and humanity, and that can be very dangerous. I can handle it. Are you sure? Because the last place that you would want for this to happen is during an interview, especially... Which is why I wanted to see if you had any insight. Well, ideally, you would regulate the stress in your life. Outside of that, there's getting enough sleep, exercise, maybe meditation. Exercise. I can do that. I can jog. And that's a good start. But you also need to pay attention to the signs. Shortness of breath, accelerated heart rate, impaired vision, vertigo. I can keep an eye out, but you are the only one that's going to feel something coming on. Okay. And I'm just kind of curious, Scott, for you, like, uh, you know, the music is blaring. There's a lot of dialogue. And how are you kind of cutting through and balancing that stuff out? And, and obviously also trying to make sure that it's going to play over, you know, two-channel stereo, because that's the way a lot of people are going to hear the show. Absolutely. Um, that was a really challenging scene as well because he wants the music cranked and he doesn't, you have to be very careful writing the music in there too. Um, he, the futz of the music, it has to sound very, it has to be period specific. Um, and so he wants a lot of brightness in that, also a lot of distortion. Oh, that's interesting because he wants it to sound like it's coming through a 1970s or early 80s sound system. He doesn't want it to be too hi-fi, right? Exactly. Finding that balance, making sure all the crowds are in there, making sure that it really feels like a dive bar and you can still hang on to the dialogue when they're softly speaking in the corner. Um, you know, that, that, those scenes are a challenge for sure, because a, a lot of times people would play that straight and just lower the, lower the music for the dialogue there. And so we had to use, you know, EQ and, and various futzes to make a nice pocket for the dialogue to sit in. So you still get that full, bright, with a bit of low end in the music and a pocket for the dialogue so it's not muffled uh, because he, he likes the dialogue nice and bright. Um, it gives it that nice air. Um, and we just have to maintain that anytime they go into a space that's loud. I remember in season one, there's a, there's a, there's a scene where Holden goes to a concert. I think it's in the pilot episode. And that scene's subtitled. And I know that caused confusion. I remember People that. were like, why yeah. subtitled? And it was a very specific choice to make it 
so loud that you can't hear, like, just like it would be if you went to a concert. Um, you know, it wasn't for, you know, because they didn't have the right quality on the microphones or anything like that. It's just because <laughs> you wanted to have that that feel. You know, that that scene in the bar that you mentioned, Glenn, it, he, he gave a great note on that that I thought was really interesting. So in that scene, Holden is telling Wendy or they're talking about he had, you know, a nervous breakdown at the end of scene one or season one. And he wanted me to create these off-screen disturbances that she doesn't react to, like intentional things. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. And then the last one, when he's, I forget what, is, what he's saying to her, but it, it's, it's something where you would expect her to really be focused on him and she looks away. And, and I, I don't know, it's just, just lots of little, he really thinks about the sound and how it can be used yeah. uh, in really great ways. Yeah, I remember a scene like that where you, there's nothing visually to cue this, but he just wanted off screen to hear somebody drop something and then hear people laugh. Yeah. And it was based off of I think the, it might have been that scene, right? I, I think that was in season one. Somebody drops a fork when Holden meets Tench the first time in the cafe. Yeah. Well, actually, that, te that, tees up, that tees up one of the things I want to talk to you about uh, from a mixing and a sound design standpoint. The sound of Quantico is so interesting to me. Um, it seems like, I don't know how many people they train at Quantico, but it seems like they're always doing target practice, gun shooting. There's always like a troop of guys running around, like, you know, doing callus. Like just this, talk to me a little bit about the sound of Quantico and, and what that environment is and how you guys built that. Well, he gave us a specific note about that. He said the thing that makes Quantico unlike any other school is that people are shooting guns outside. <laughs> and then I think he also had a note about, oh, this was maybe my favorite note of all this because it was such a great, he said, I want, I want to hear a gun go off and there's all these birds that will fly away, but they're so stupid, they keep coming back. And so every time they shoot the gun, the birds keep, I mean, I don't know if we really played that throughout the entire season because it gets a little bit too much, but... I know we established that and then it was very, it was an ongoing thing where we would try to kind of because he always wanted to hear gunfire and even if it didn't necessarily serve the scene. So I know we, we went through a, a few rounds of trying some gunfire in, uh, in different offices and, and seeing if it would work. But um, that was definitely something that there's always a presence of gunfire. Talk to me about the basement. It's such, it's such a, you know, in, in some ways, the sound design and the mix echoes the production design. It's such a forlorn space. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was really important to always hear the pipes groaning and just the oppression of being in the basement of Quantico. It was really important that it feels heavy down there. It feels like a dark, damp place. No water drips or anything like that, but just like you're in the sewer down here and you've kind of been forgotten about. Um, and it was important to kind of maintain that and always have a, a groan here and there to just fill up that space whenever you can. Yeah. And I think that was a good example, too. I mean, I remember building that out. You know, he wanted to hear pipe gurgles and all this stuff. Cause, and you see the pipes on the ceiling. And I built it just knowing what I know about him. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was so dense. There was so much stuff going on. And I know that you guys thinned it out a little bit. And I think you guys said to me, dude, what, what the hell? Like, this is so much stuff. And you thinned it out, and he came back with a note that said, I want to hear more pipes. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's that is awesome. awesome. Yeah. So I have to, uh, a couple things before we leave the basement. Um, it just, it just made me laugh so much. Like I have never heard so many selectric typewriters in my entire life. Like everybody was typing in that, sh in that show. That's you know, so many people typing off screen, but I, I have to ask you my favorites, my favorite single sound effect in the entire show. You guys going to guess what it is? It's the door closing in the basement. Uh, uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that. I feel like the door closed to their office has like nine different individual sounds, like components to it. But how did that come about? You must have had a field day with that, Steve. Uh, well, he had, that was another specific note. He he wanted that door. It has a pneumatic hiss to it, and he wanted to hear it, it, a ridiculously long pneumatic hiss. It was uh, to me, it was like the uh, the sound effect equivalent of Norm in Cheers. Like every time somebody comes through the door, you hear. <laughs> So long, you know, and again, I don't know if I, I think you guys maybe didn't quite keep up the same level of, you know, of hearing that throughout the entire season. But well, you got to make room for the dialogue. Nah, <laughs> you need the dialogue. You know, I, I was curious if I, I have a question for Scott, actually. He didn't want to deliver stem, right? Did you get stems or did you or was it just all stereo stems? Is that what it was or there would be a um, few cues where I would have stems. Yeah. So how so, were you how were you spreading it? What were you doing for that? Um, I would use a up mixer to mm -hmm. to derive some surrounds and and then use reverb and repan the reverb to kind of help fill it up a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, wrangling the music on that was because it's sparse music, but it's incredibly effective when it does yeah. come in, and it's almost you know weave with the sound effects as as somewhat of a sound design layer. It's not, you know, it's not your classic kind of score pushing along the story necessarily. Well, tell me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because I, I, I didn't want to talk about the music. And to me, like I, there were moments when I wasn't sure if I was hearing music or if I, if I, if I was hearing sound design. And I kind of loved that. But what was the, like, tell us, was it the same composer through the entire season? And what was the approach to the music? Yeah, Jason Hill was the, the composer and he was composer on season one as well um and the theme silk drapes is the name of one of the themes that when this show came out it was i was you know checking out the internet to see how people were reacting to it and i saw a lot of people trying to find that that piece of score um because it's so effective and so chilling and you know, you hear it come in when when Bill goes to the basement and it, he's kind of investigating the, you know, the, the boy on the cross. I think those moments, it just really makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Um, and it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, you did a great job. Music. Let's talk about the cars for a second, um, because obviously it's a period piece, a lot of period cars. Um, and they're doing very specific things, like Steve, you were saying, like that in that particular sequence, the car is driving really slow. Like you, you know, the bridge, he drives across the bridge, he comes back. Like there's all. Did you guys have recording sessions with period cars, or how did you approach that, all that stuff? I mean, there was no time for that. <laughs> we were, you know, what was really a huge help was Ren's Zodiac library from the film Zodiac because they had recorded a lot of cars for that. But he, again, <laughs> it'll come as no surprise that David had very specific. You know, he, he cared a lot about the cars and he really wanted to hear how rumbly and, you know, 
leaded <laughs> those cars were back then. Those big, those big, those big American V8 engines, right? right. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I probably shouldn't reveal this, but I, once I figured out what he liked, and there were certain specific cars that he really liked, I think I used I reused a lot of those cars. He cheated. Well, I don't know if it's a cheat, but you know, I mean, I, I, he liked them. They they were working for him, and you know, I mean especially when you don't have time to go and do specific recording, you always have to poach from different vehicles and different things, especially if it's a more involved sequence. How were the production tracks uh, that came to you guys? Um, and obviously I know that, you know, you, Steve, you didn't cut the dialogue, but it's a period piece. A lot of it's on location. I, I presume that the production tracks were a challenge to work with. Yeah, there was some challenging production. Um, and so there's also a fair amount of more ADR in the show than you would ever know. Uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a fair amount of looping, but not necessarily for quality. A lot of times it would be to change a slight nuance in a performance. Uh, very subtle nuance. And I'd be like, oh, why are we, why are we putting ADR in here? And then I would work through it and be like, oh, I see. It's very subtle, but it is really important. So some scenes would get, you know, looped for that reason, just because he wanted a little more reverence for something they were talking about. And very slight, you know, no, no line changes or anything, just very subtle reverence. And I noticed in a few scenes that we, we looped. What about in some of the big sequences? Like I'm, I'm thinking about the, the big sequence in the Baptist church when the mayor gets shouted down by the crowd. That was actually incredibly well recorded. Um, the, uh, they did a great job on set with that stuff. We had good splits, really great crowd stuff. Um, filled it in with some loop group and ADR specifics. Um, and that scene really, that's a very powerful scene. That, that scene really, really came together. I, you know, I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about, and this is, this is kind of the dance between sound editorial and mixing, just the way you guys shape stuff. And you said you built it so big, but you, you know, that it was so dense, but there, there was, there are moments when you know you subtract in such a powerful way and I'm, I'm, i made a note to myself i love the the sequence in um in episode four in atlanta and the 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 space where the you know the cops are they've set up their temporary shop to investigate the atlanta child murders and uh holden is in there uh and the, the city commissioner comes in and there's all this chaos and people are buzzing in the background and and holden just makes a side comment about like uh, there's not, there's no ransom. This is not a kidnapping and everything drops out basically goes to zero for a second, just for that line. And it makes you sort of like perk up and lean into what he's about to say next. I thought it was just a great, uh, it was a great choice. So there were, yeah, there was that moment. There's, there's, a, a, actually a lot of moments where, um, there would just be like the timing of, it seemed appropriate that there needed to be a pause and, and Scott and I would have a lot of conversations about that, those moments when they came up and, and, um, we just decided to do whatever was seemed appropriate. You know, it, in this case, it was, we really need to lean in to listen to what they're saying. So we kind of crescendo and then we bring it back and just hold it off. And so that all you're left with is that pause and then that space to kind of watch and listen um, other moments like that are, you know, whenever the creepy score is coming in or something like that, you know, 
uh, sometimes in mixes, you'll hear just the sound effects and BGs, the backgrounds just kind of hovering and staying in the same place. But what we like to do is really give you the, the space um, auditorially to really lean in and listen to that score and just be enveloped by its sound. So we'll pull back on those sounds really gradually, like the typewriters in the scenes or something, typing and typing away, typing away. And then you just kind of, you don't, you're just kind of think about it. You're like, wait, where are the typewriters? You don't even think about it, really. You're just listening and watching. And so there, there was a lot of moments like that where we kind of shaped the, the score and the soundscape together. Along those lines, there's a, um, there's a really great moment. It's the end of the first episode, second season. Holden's outside. He's getting chewed out by his, his boss. And in the background is a sprinkler that builds with the scene. As, as he gets angrier, the sprinkler gets a little bit bigger, but it's all in the background. So you, unless you're tuned into it, you're not going to notice it. Um, and it really, it's one of those sound moments that really helps move the story along and give you a little added anxiety as you're watching. Well, I'm glad you brought that scene up because one of the things that I love is like that, you, you know, you guys have established at the end of the previous season that Holden is prone to these uh, panic attacks. And that particular moment when he's getting balled out by his old boss triggers a panic attack. And so that gave you guys a lot of fun room to play with sound elements to kind of establish his state of mind, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, In that moment, it was was really important um, to make sure that we hear the conversation that's happening behind him as he's slumping down. He has to stay foreground and really, like, really feel that breathing. But the dialogue of um, Tench and his boss in the background is really what we're what we're looking to hear in that moment um yeah there's anything in mindhunter it's always like there is some room to play but there's always a really specific thing that we have to make sure is coming across well i love to um i love to end up with just uh asking you guys like what uh what was one of your favorite scenes from a sound perspective in this season of the show maybe something that like when you know when it when it when you watch it when it plays just kind of makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, I think I think the Kevin in the truck scene for me is is kind of the piece de resistance. Um, yeah, I mean that was. I don't remember. I can't remember whether the train was something I came up with or something that Fincher asked for. But yeah. I do remember one thing that was really. I, I wanted the train. It's an incredibly long scene, and I wanted the train to co- be coming. From the beginning, like on and on and on. And it was really hard to do because no train, you can't find a train by that is that long. So I was like, and Stephen did a lot of work on this too to make it work. And I think in the end, the mix, I'm not sure, you sort of hear it at certain times. In fact, when I watched it back, because I also just binged season two because I haven't had time to watch it until the last two days. Um, you know, I really noticed like there were places where the the train went away very suddenly. I'm forgetting there was a line he says. Uh, I think he says something about like everything went really quiet or something and the train went. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the way I had cut it, it just, it took a lot of work to create this train that is just coming and coming and all these different things, brake squeals and piecing together different things. And, and then, you know, just riding the, the scene, riding the emotion of the scene. And I know for you guys, this, it was a huge mixing challenge, I think. Yeah, that scene is too traumatic for me to, uh, <laughs> to be my favorite. Uh, but there's there's the scene when in the end of the first episode that I uh, Holden runs up to the microphone at his party, 
And that's a scene where um, I really went for it with the PA treatment. I just went ham and David really loved it. And I, that's that's a scene where I was like, I'm going to I want to make this sound like this is a microphone that is just super hot and and Holden is blowing it here. Um, and so that scene for me was one of those ones that like got got through early on. And uh, and nobody ever said anything about it again. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's cool. And I was like, oh, I, I worked on that so hard. I, lo- I love that it went right by. <laughs> Steven, what about you? Um, I think there's so many great moments. I had fun on that train scene, mixing all the Steve stuff. Um, I think one of my favorite moments is when Holden gets tricked by Tanya, I think her name is. Yeah, Tanya comes up and and he gets tricked and super excited. He, think, he thinks he's going on this date. And so he gets ready and there's a fast, quick, you know, a bunch of cuts in a row, getting shaving and doing all this stuff. And he's like, he puts his suit down and he's getting ready. And then he goes down and then they, he meets him at, he meets her at the lobby and then they walk really fast through this really crowded garage. And that was the whole thing. And, um, uh, you know, with David, he wanted to hear the garage really, really alive. And he wanted to hear the horns honking, the, you know, the attendance whistles blowing and all this stuff going on. But still the focus was with them walking and he wanted to hear her heels, you know, hitting the, the ground and echoing and everything and getting in that really shitty car. And then so that's the first cue for us with sound that wait something's kind of weird like why are we this is a really shitty car. The seatbelt doesn't work. She's throwing cans in the back. Is this really a date? And, you know, and he's just going through this thing. You kind of go through it with him. And then they start talking in the car and then they get out. And then one of David David's um, comments that was really great, and Steve picked out all the sounds for this, was when they get out of the car and they're slamming the doors, they're opening and slamming the doors at the diner. And it just has this really crappy, funny squeak to it. David really loved those. Great job, Steve. Here we are. Oh, looks closed. Let's go. All right. This is Agent Four. Holden. This is my cousin. You look kind of young for FBI. Arnie, stop it. It happens. They sit in the back there. Go ahead. That's funny yeah. that you love that scene because that parking lot scene, if I could name one yeah. scene that I disliked doing the most, it was that scene. <laughs> well, I just, loved it. Just it was, because yeah. it was so, I mean, there was so much going on and it wasn't like, I mean, it was, Stephen worked magic on it, but it was like, there was all this stuff that just had to be put in. It took forever to cut. You know, how long does that scene last? I mean, that's that's that scene in the parking lot is what, two minutes, maybe? 
I think I worked on that scene for three or four days. Oh, not even two minutes. They just walked up to the car. That was it. That was like 15 seconds or something. Yeah, but that was... And then you guys would call and say, hey, you missed something. <laughs> I'm surprised you guys didn't talk about the uh, the Berkowitz interview at Attica. That's... Uh, oh, yeah. Do you yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, please. We did something pretty cool in that scene. Um, over it's a it's a very long it's one of the longer interviews in the show, um, and over the we tried out something in that scene that I think works and it's very is on a subliminal level subliminal level in that he's being pitched down very slightly over the course of that scene until he reveals that he is lying to everyone, and in that moment then he drops even more. And so that was his direction from David to try this. And, and we did. And it was very slight, very, you know, just slightly pitching him over the scene to, to have him have a little more body when he reveals it. Because it wasn't necessarily performed that way, but we were able to do it in post-production. That's amazing. That's a, that's, that's a great, uh, great little sneaky thing there. That was also a really great scene where um, there was a ton of off-screen stuff, and like really close, not even far away, really close by. A prisoner's, you know, getting walked from one area to the next, and you just hear this, this buzzer going off, and the big clanky doors, and the chains, and walk-in, and police radios, all this stuff while they're having a conversation that you're supposed to be listening to. But somehow, you know, we kind of bob and weaved and everything and made it work out. But it's, it makes it so much more interesting and, and you feel like you're there when all this stuff is like right there and there's this off-screen stuff. Without a doubt. But I feel like, I feel like you know, you guys did a great job of like establishing that, that chaos at the beginning of those scenes. And then when you would get into, you know, really important moments, it's not quite there to the extent that it, that it, that it had been before. So you, you, carve out, you carve out space for that stuff, which is fantastic. I, I think one of the... Great. I mean, sort of what you just said, but I mean, one of the great things about that is if you do have that much stuff going on, you know, you can then take it away and just really, it feels even more focused than it would otherwise. Well, guys, it's great work. It's fantastic. It's, um, um, I was really blown away by it and congratulations to you guys. And, and, uh, and obviously what a great treat for, for all of you to, to get to work on two seasons of this show with Ren Kleiss and David Fincher, two of the great, uh, masters of, of the form. You know, I can't wait. I hope there's a season three. You guys, you know, we left all the characters in such forlorn circumstances at the end of season two. Uh, you know, poor Bill, his wife has left him and took all the furniture and the house is completely empty. Like she left gosh. the couch. She did leave the couch. She, she said she was going to do that. So, yeah, I can't. Uh, I, I really hope there's another season that we come back and see what happens to these great characters. Guys, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about uh, Mindhunter today. Steven, Steve, Scott, amazing work. Thanks so much. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thanks, Glenn. Great. Well, that's uh, going to wrap up this episode, talking about Mindhunter. Uh, join us next week uh, when we talk to the folks on Ozark about the sound for that show. And uh, this is Glenn Kaiser signing off for the Dolby Institute and Soundworks Collection. Thanks. Thanks.